Church. Good morning. The scripture reading this morning will come from Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. We're going to go down to verse 21. Galatians 4 and 21. I'll be reading from the New Living um, Translation. Galatians chapter 4, starting down at verse 21. Talking about the promises of God. Amen. I'll begin. Tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? The scripture said that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a, in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn woman, or the freeborn wife, was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where people received the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia, because she and her children live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman, and she is our mother. As Isaiah said, "Rejoice, O childless woman, you have never who have uh, you who have never given birth. Break into a joyful shout, you who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise." Just like Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law. Just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the spirit. But what do the scriptures say about this? Get rid of the slave and her son. 
for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. So, dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. Woman, We are children of the what? Free woman. Amen. Oh, 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 
smiles on us is because how he loves us to know every morning our God greets us with grace and mercy because he loves us. Think about it. You don't have to do anything. It's just because how great he loves us. Father, we just thank you for how great you love us, how you provide for us and care for us. Now, Lord, as we Stand in awe with you, O oh God. We open up our hearts to receive a word from you, Almighty God. Speak now, Lord, your servants are listening. Guide us, Almighty God, into your presence that we might see Jesus. And Lord, our prayer that we'll have your word hidden in our heart that we might not sin against you. Speak now, Lord, your servants are listening. Lord, we pray. Amen. As we continue on in our 
studying and looking at this letter from Paul to the church of Galatia and Galatians. We are now in the fourth chapter. He, we move past his personal plea as he's getting even more in depth um, in his instructions and teaching and application of how they ought to be faithful to this gospel message in face of those who are trying to distract and detract from the message. I want to encourage us today as we look at this text to add also how we too need to keep our eye on the promise of walking in the faithfulness of our God, that our God, he truly will say and do. And so as we look at the promise of our God, this great gospel message we now behold because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we want to talk about again why we have so much faith in this promise and how we ought to basically insulate ourselves uh, so we're not as easily distracted and persuaded by the lies and the, and the schemes and the tricks of the enemy. And so when you know the truth, right, you can defend the truth. But when you don't know the truth, it's hard to defend what you do. Now, I know I'm going to talk to somebody here. And so I want to talk about that you already know what you know. We know that God is good. We know that he has provided his son so that we might have life and life everlasting. And so when we know this truth, you can stand against those who want to tell you that God is not real. You can let them know, I know my God is real. He woke me up this morning, started me on my way. When we understand how we want to give credit to our God and not discredit our God. The enemy wants to take away credit and glory from God because glory belongs to God. And so this, the, the trick of the enemy is to help make us think that we are in control. I want to help encourage somebody to let them know they don't know you are not in control. You, you think you've got things under control, but yet you found out, I bet you found out sooner or later that you are not in control. All you got to do is wake up early in the morning, think you're going to be on time and watch there be a road construction somewhere. You're going to find out you are not in control. You thought you everything was going to work out just right. Then you find out that now traffic is slowed down because it's out of your control. And so I want to talk about how we can trust a God that says something and he's going to do it. Why? Because the promises of God are faithful and true. But what do promises mean anyway? Why do we make promises? When I think about promises, I, I think about my children. Because they always ask me to pinky promise them something. Can I go outside tomorrow? Pinky promise? As if that, but my word is not good enough. I gotta give them a suggestion, a, 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 a choice of clocking the pinky to say, I promise you can play outside tomorrow. Now that's official, right? This, this, this gesture of showing that I will give you my pinky to make a promise. Little children know this pinky promise. Some way, somehow, because I did not teach them this in the house. But they watched it somewhere on TV or saw another friend doing it. Say, hey, this is the thing we're going to do. This gesture to show a person, I'm binding you to this commitment that you are making. But my question is, what happens when this commitment is broken? Do you break your pinky? Y'all quiet on Because if you are making this gesture, right, of a pinky promise, I, I think we would be a lot of people will be missing some pinky in the promises that have been broken. Many times 
we are credible, but we're not accountable. <laughs> I, I meant good, but things were out of my control that it could not be done. So I did not technically break the promise, but the promise did not come to fruition. Am I talking to somebody? And see, some suggest that this pinky promise comes from the tradition in Japan that if you made a promise, that if you broke it, you cut off your pinky. And many of you may have seen those movies. You've seen that, right? How they'll take the knife and they'll cut off the small pinky in order to show that I brought dishonor or I broke my promise. I was not faithful to what I hoped I would. And so my debt to be paid is to, to cut off my pinky and gift it to the person. But here it is. We still live in a time that we still got our pinkies. Making pinky promises. But yet, God does not have to give a pinky promise. God's word is good enough. But since some of us could not really understand his word, God did give us a gesture. And that gesture was in Jesus. Second Corinthians, first chapter, verse 20, reminds us that for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ. With a resounding yes and a and through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. God's promises are a yes and amen. Tell your neighbor, God's promises are yes and amen. And when you say amen, that means it's agreed or it is done. And so here it is that when God says it, you could just say amen, it's done. <laughs> and so here it is that God's promises are yes and amen. Paul was trying to point out to them that do you have these Judaizers trying to make you be legalists and be nominous that you got to obey these laws? You got to follow the, the, the Jewish traditions in order for you to be saved when he's already argued in the second chapter of this letter that you are justified through Christ, not by work so that no man can boast. And so it's no longer us who live, but it's Christ who lives in us, who died for us, who set us free. And so he's pointing this out to them. Now he's getting even more to pointing out that the promise of our God. Is being fulfilled through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so he gives an allegory here to illustrate this promise from God in the portion of this letter now in Galatians 4th chapter, verses 21 to 31. Now, here I want to help you out. Uh, Paul is taking liberties. Uh, I said liberties. Uh, he's doing an allegory. This is not the historical context of this text. But he's using it for illustration purposes probably because... The Judaizers and those who are contrast are using this as examples. So therefore, he says, Lord, let me use this uh, and help you understand how this really relates in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to highlight this because the church in Galatians, he's writing to Gentiles. They're not Jews. So they may not be familiar with the whole historical context of the story, but they might be, content, be familiar with the subject matter because they're trying to get them to be circumcised and live under the law in order to do all these things just to be saved. But yet all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Again, let me draw our attention back to this text, looking at verses 21 to 24 first. Tell me, you want to live under the law. Do you know what the law actually says? The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. These two women 
serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where people received the law that enslaved them. Sarah represents the promise, and Hagar, the law. So in this allegory, right, he has Sarah to represent the promise, freeborn, and Hagar, which was the maid, the servant, a slave, representing the law. The first covenant, represented by Hagar in this allegory, refers to the covenant law God gave to the children of Israel on Mount Sinai that God delivered to Israel in the, uh, the Old We find the Old Testament in the law. And so we see this that in Exodus 31, 18, it says, as reference historical perspective, when the Lord finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant written by the finger of God. The two covenants, the first covenant, is represented on Mount Sinai that God delivered to Israel, found, we found in the Old Testament, the Exodus, and, and also retold in Deuteronomy 33rd chapter. Verse 2 says, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned over them from Seir, the shone forth from Seir. He shone from the Mount Paran. He came with myriads of holy ones from the south from this mountain slopes. And from the mountain, God called up Moses and gave him the law. And so we see this, that it's pointing out that God established this with Moses, this law, this covenant with these people. These laws were used to help Israel to be identified as God's chosen people. These laws helped them to be identified and realize that we don't worship these poly gods. We don't worship these other gods, but we worship the one true God, Yahweh, Jehovah, God himself. And so when they looked at him, they understood it. But now after Christ. Right now we have Christ. These false teachers are teaching. They still have to follow these Jewish customs to be saved, which, again, will take away from the redemption we have through Christ Jesus. And so if following the laws were good enough, Jesus would not have to come. But yet Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise. And so the covenant that they were established with Moses by God was good, and it helped them to understand how they are sinful and in need of redemption, but redemption is not fulfilled until Jesus Christ. And so the second covenant is established in the Son of God under grace, under the promise, represents this heavenly Jerusalem. Galatians 4, verse 26 says, But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is a free woman. And she is our mother. This is emphatic here of how he says of the heavenly Jerusalem. Now, it may be spoken to the eschatological times of a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. But more specifically speaking of the present time, that we are now citizens in the kingdom of heaven. That we are now co-heirs through the victory and the deliverance of Jesus Christ. He's pointing out to them that you have now been grafted to be a part of this family. You were once exiled and not recognized, but now because of the blood of the lamb, you have access to heavenly God, the father. Remember we talked about now we call Abba father. So now we have been grafted into this fellowship of Jerusalem, which is also a sign of their worship, a sign of their, of their, of their capstone and peace of Zion. So when they speak of that, it speaks of home. It speaks of a, a sense of an understanding of our heritage and our responsibility to serve the one true God. And so he points out to them that not only does this make us part 
of the new covenant of heavenly Jerusalem, but also makes us her, makes her our mother. That we are children of this promise. That we are heirs of this promise. It's, it's inherited, it's given to us, it's a blessing. And so grace shows us that under the law, we are still slaves. The law shows us that as slaves, we are doomed to the curse of the law. Slaves will not know freedom, but yet freedom is brought through Christ because of grace. And since of his grace, we are children of the promise. And so that's why we got to look at this in the process of that. Why do we walk with our head beaten down? Allowing the world to knock us down, to make us feel less than ourselves, make us feel bad about ourselves because we mess up. I want to encourage you to understand you're going to mess up. It's going to happen. There's not one person living on this earth that is perfect, that does not have a not so good day. And so that's why the enemy tries to continue to sneak in in the moments of doubt, in the moments of depression, to get you to leave God and start trying other things. But nothing else can fix you like Jesus. And so when you are are able to separate yourself and remove those things that don't represent God and fill yourself up with the things that are of God is going to help you out. That's why we got to know the promise. We got to know the truth. Because when you know the truth, you can say no to the things that are not good for you. When you go to the doctor, the doctor tells you what food, food is good for you, what food is bad for you. But the problem is that it's not the doctors go out with you when you go eat. You got to choose for yourself. Am I going to obey? Y'all don't hear me. <laughs> Am I going to obey what he says or am I going to do how my body feels? Because my body feels like it wants some salty stuff. My body feels it wants some sugary stuff. My body feels all kinds of things, but yet mine over matter. I got to choose to do the things and, and submit and surrender to the things that's going to beneficial, that'll be beneficial for me that in the long run I might find out it's going to be better. But the challenge is that right now I want to satisfy right now. The enemy has lied to us to make us think that the pleasure of the present will blind us to the facts of the future. We'll get caught up in enjoying ourselves now, now willing to handle the consequences that are going to be. And so we got to understand that though I am free in Christ, I am free in Christ. I'm not free to lose my mind. I need to understand that I was a slave to sin and sin is going to lead me to death. But now that I've been redeemed and washed by the blood of the lamb, the promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ to tell me that though he died for me, yet I live and he lives in me. And so no longer is I who live, but it's he that lives in me. So I will submit and surrender to his will and let his will be done in my life. And so I got to understand this promise of that. Yes, the law shows me where I fall short, but the law will not redeem me. The law will not save me, but his grace, hallelujah, has saved me. And because his grace has saved me, then I realize that I want to do the things that bring glory and honor to my God. I want to love my neighbor. I want to be kind to those who mistreat me and abuse me. I'm going to bless and curse not. I'm going to turn the other side. I'm going to give even when it hurts. That I'm going to do what God calls me to do and not allow the world to set the standard and be my model, which is a bad model. Look at verse 26 of the four chapters. But the other woman, Sarah, Represents the heavenly Jerusalem, 
She's a free woman. She is our mother. As Isaiah said, rejoice, O childless woman. You have never given birth. Break into a joyful shout. You who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. When I look at that text, now look about this promise that we have. He's pointing out that Sarah, if you don't know the historical context, Sarah was barren and she could not have a child. Therefore, Abraham thought, well, my maid can have, she's fertile, so I'll have a child with her. But she's not a child of the promise. It was a man's intuition of saying, hey, I'll do it this way. But God saying she will, that child will not inherit the promise. The promise is in the seed that I say is going to come through Sarah, and that is Isaac. Y'all see it there? Just like Isaac. Now, here it is that Isaac is one son, but yet he is the beginning of the plurality of many children coming. And so here it is that we're pointing out how God can take nothing and make it into something. Don't, don't allow the enemy get you distracted because you don't see it yet. Tell your neighbor, wait for it. <laughs> you see, we just need to wait on God to do what only he's going to. We wait for all, all kinds of stuff. We, we wait for the new release of new technology. You wait in line to go see your favorite movie. You wait in line to get on an amusement ride. You wait in line to go to a concert. You wait in line to buy you a sporting event ticket. But yet we want to hurry up God. But yet God is always going to be good. And on time. And so we wait on God and say, Lord, I want it now, but Lord, I'll wait till you say I'm ready. I'll wait till you feel it's ready for me to have what you want me to have. So Abraham teaches us that it's good just to wait on God because he caused problems by having a child. And now they, they fight amongst each other. They had to separate one another. Now we see how Mo, uh, uh, Paul is using this text to point out to them that you have conflicts here that they're not going to work together. This new Jerusalem deals with the redemption of Israel and the totality of the church. This view of this traditional Jewish expectation of their new home with the Lord in Jerusalem. This promise of God is expressed and this promise fulfilled through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as he uses his allegory to express how it happened through Sarah. So walk in the promise and be aware of the traps of the enemy. Look at verse 29. It says, but you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law just as Ishmael, the child born of human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the spirit. The enemy is always going to try to persecute God's children. The enemy is always going to try to stop you from getting whatever God has for you. See, the promises of God are good, and the enemy knows they're good, but he does not want you to get a glimpse of them. I, I think about it as this, how you get a glimpse of it, how a child uh, back in the day, I remember we used, to, we used to get the catalogs. The kids don't know about these catalogs now. Everybody, you know, go online and search them. But you get those catalogs, right? And you'd be able to circle what you wanted for Christmas. And you would, you would, you would dog ear the pages. So when mom and dad opened up the catalog, it would open up into that section so they could see right there. And you have to circle what you wanted uh, for Christmas. But the sad thing, I didn't know how the catalogs worked. All the toy set was always in the back. 
They didn't go in the back, but I didn't know any better. Now, back then, I was like, like, I got old, I realized, like, why is all the toys in a small part in the back of the cabinet? Because they knew the parents didn't want to see all that stuff. All the stuff they wanted was in the front, all the appliances, all the furniture, all the stuff in the front. But as a kid, I thought I was doing something. I put doggy tags and circle what I wanted, and they opened it up and said, all right, that's what I want uh, for Christmas, right? And so I got a glimpse of what I want. And so I'm, I had a glimpse, I got a taste that maybe if I'm good enough, I'm, I'm going to get it come Christmas Day. And so that expectation was good enough that I couldn't sleep at night on Christmas Eve. I'd be like, boy, I can't go to sleep because I, I can't wait to get what I'm expecting to see. Right. And, and so some days I got it. Some days I didn't get it. But yet I remember that moment that I'm expecting. That I got a glimpse. I got a taste of what it is. But I'm going to tell you something here that I, we got a God that when he gave you a glimpse, of, I guarantee you're going to taste. Taste and see that the Lord is good because God and his promises are yes and amen. What God has promised you is going to come. It's going to happen. So you don't got to wait about when it's going to come. You just got to say, Lord, I'm waiting on it to come. That's sort of how the children are waiting for the ice cream truck. They hear the sound. They get excited. Know why they get excited? Because it's in the neighborhood. It's not in the, at their house yet, but they know since it's in the neighborhood, it's going to come around this way. And so they start crying out, Daddy! <laughs> the ice cream truck, they ain't got money, so they call out, Daddy! <laughs> And the same thing, you can do the same thing. You just call out to God, Daddy, <laughs> I'm waiting for my blessing to come. I, I, I'm waiting for you to show up and do exactly what you're going to say to do. Don't let the enemy distract you, deny you, and detract you. But stay focused on his promise. Walk in his promise. Walk in his truth. Knowing that you are good. People want to tell you you are no good. They're going to tell you that you're not beautiful enough. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. But yet, I'm going to remind you what God said when he made Adam and Eve is still true to you. You are very good. And then when someone tells you how they don't love you, that's all right. You remind yourself that Jesus loved me this much. (laughs) See, when you can remind yourself of the promise and the word of God, it will help combat and fight the lives of the enemy. Look what verse 30 tells us. But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. It says, get rid. What what encourages, what he's pointing out to us, is that there's some things in our lives, some people in our lives, some obstacles in our lives that we need to remove. We need to get rid of. There's some things that we know very well because of modern technology, right? How you can block people. <laughs> and there's some things in our lives that we need to block. That we need to stop following. We need to unsubscribe. And not allow that stuff to influence us, detract us, and dissuade us and hurt us. You know, you can lose yourself, as you've seen many people suffering from depression and social media, by reading all the comments. You want to hear how somebody don't like you, how they want to do all these things to you, it can mess with your mental capability. We're seeing it to so many of our, of our athletes and those in, in public sphere because of their, their popularity. They're getting so many negative messages that it's hurting them. I want you to understand, words hurt. And that's why we need to go to the word of God. The word that brings forth light, the word that brings forth peace, the word that has power to change darkness into light. 
And so when we come to the word that became flesh and died on the cross for our sins, uh, we'll find out that in him I have life and life everlasting. But yet we got to remove some of that darkness, remove. And here's a challenge for many of us that we need to be the light in that dark room. That people are looking for help and we are the help that's present right there. Are we being submissive? Are we surrendering to the will of God and saying, Lord, help me to be light in this dark world? If someone needs to know about the message of hope, God, help me to tell them how good you are. Lord, help me in my presence that I can let them know that you are God and you are God alone. Help me, oh God, that I can help somebody to turn to you in the moment they need you the most. And so when we can be light and we can expel darkness, we can share this great gospel. We can let people know that I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. And that's why I pray to my God each and every day. Because in my prayer to my God, I tell him, thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. Thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. Because I know I messed up, but yet you blessed me to see one more day. And while I'm here in the land of the living, help me to do better today than I did yesterday. And, and, and you can share with them and let them know that I don't have it all together, but yet our God holds us together. That he does not allow us to walk around with our head beaten down because he says that he's faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so I can go to him and walk in his promise of forgiveness. And if I can remind myself that God has forgiven me, then I can remind myself I can forgive me too. Because I'm not greater than God. If God can forgive me, then I can learn to forgive myself. But the hardest thing we oftentimes realize is that we can't forgive ourselves. We can forgive other people, but we're hardest on ourselves. But here I want you to understand that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus down on the cross for your sins. That you don't have to walk with your head bowed down and defeated, but walk in the promise of victory and power and light and resurrection through Jesus. You share in this great inheritance in the Son of God. That's why verse 31, he says, So dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but we are children of the free woman. We are no longer slaves, but we are free. We are a child of God. Our inheritance is through this promise. We are blessed by God. We did not earn it. We did not work for it. We don't deserve it. But God's awesome grace came down some 42 generations to be born of the Virgin Mary, Jesus Christ. Do you understand? This promise was not a new promise. He promises back in the Garden of Eden. When he told Adam and Eve, because y'all messed up, I got to clean it up. I'm going to send a seed through the woman. And she will step on the ser- he will step on the serpent's head. He will bruise his head, but he will kill the serpent. <laughs> the serpent didn't like that news to find out your end has already been written. <laughs> if y'all don't understand, the writ that the end has already been written. <laughs> you look in Genesis and then you look at Revelation. In the beginning, God, the last word is Amen. Amen means yes, and it says so. And, and after Amen means the enemy has already been defeated. We are already in heaven. <laughs> Tell your neighbor, I sing the story. God's word is true. 
And so when I'm walking in obedience to God's will, I, I understand that the enemy wants me not to know the whole story. But I got the whole story. It's right here in God's word. So don't let the lies blind you of the truth. God's grace is good enough. It's awesome enough. Even the trials and tribulations that you're going through, know that God is good to you. God's promise is guaranteed because God is guaranteed. And lastly, I want to highlight how this promise is a gift. A promise that oftentimes how we make promises is sort of like negotiations. We tell somebody, I promise to do something, you promise to do something back for me. But yet God does not give us a promise asking us to do anything back. His promise is just because I love you, I'm going to do this for you. Man had nothing to give God when they messed up. They messed up. But God said, I got something to give to you. Oh, glory be to God. And so when you think about how when God gives us a gesture of his promise, it's a gift. When we give people a promise, we feel like they owe us. Did I do you this favor? I did not do this for you, so you owe me. But God's like, I love you so much, I feel like I owe you. <laughs> that I'll send my son to die for you. And here's the blessing about God's promise that is irrevocable, that is irreversible, that is eternally good. I, I want to close on this as we look at the allegory and the blessing of the children of Israel. Some of us are familiar with this text, Numbers 23:19. For God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? What I like about this text in Numbers 23, the history of this text is that uh, Balaam, we may be familiar with Balaam and his donkey. Uh, Balaam was hired by Balak to curse God's people. But Balaam had some prerequisitions to tell the king. He says, I can only say what God tells me to say. You may want me to curse them, but I want to let you know. You can pay me all you want, but still, when I show up, I got one assignment. I got to only say what God tells me to say. And so when we read this text, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He's not a human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? He's letting them know that the king got mad at Balaam. At the second time, I asked you to curse him two times. Two times you blessed him. He let them know that God has already blessed them. And since God has already blessed them, there's nothing I can do to change the blessing. God is not a man that he shall lie, nor is not a man that he shall change his mind. Will he not say? Will he not do? Will he not follow through? So he let them know, I can't change what God has already done. So I encourage you today that God's word is still true. What he said then is good now. And it's going to be good tomorrow too. Glory be to God. And so I want to encourage you. Don't let the world distract you and let you think that God is not real. That Jesus cannot say. His blood still works. He is still able to call us from the, utter, from the, from the guttermost to the utmost. He's able to deliver us and carry us and bring us through. And he's able to give us peace in the midst of the storm. He's able to help us. In times of destruction to help us to know that this world will pass away. But Lord, everything in you will be made new. So it's better to be lost in Jesus than to be found in this world. 
So I want to encourage you. Walk in this promise. Even though things may be falling down around you, the world may be shaking all around you, know that you own Christ. This solid rock, I stand all other ground. It's sinking sand. So yeah, stuff should be falling around you. Hello, somebody. <laughs> stuff should be falling around you because you should be saying, I'm standing on the promises of the Lord. So let's remove those distractions. Remove those detractors. And let us hold on to his promise. Hold on to his truth. Let us pray. Oh God, we are grateful that you are forever faithful. And Father, forgive us the times that we have trusted in our own effort, we trusted in man's ideologies and positions more than your word. We thank you, oh God, that you have called us your children, that you are faithful and just to cleanse us and forgive us of all unrighteousness. And so, Lord, we want to walk in submission to your spirit. Guide us, almighty God. Direct us only you can. And, Lord, I pray there might be someone listening to the message at this moment, God, and they want to know you. Lord, I thank you that all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, I pray that you will help guide them, direct them to a Bible-believing, preaching, teaching church where they can be discipled to be the mighty men and mighty women of God, disciples of Christ who called them to be. Now, Father, Lord, as we continue on to worship you and bless you, help us, Almighty God, to walk obedient according to your spirit and to your will. Search our hearts, reveal to us, remove from us what is not of you. Fill us up with all of you. Jesus Christ, name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us in worship. Uh, you can give online and download our app at www.zionbcpeoria.com or you can text to give as well and join with us next week like share this message and encourage somebody else and remember Jesus loves you and so do I may we rise here in this place